Welcome to Life Curious Women, where you will find honest conversations exploring women's experiences learning, growing, and healing. I'm your host, Ashley Nadine Lopez, and I'm excited for you to join our collective learning experience. Welcome back, Life Curious Women listeners. This week, we have Natalie Trotta on the podcast. She is one of my long-term best friends and she's a sustainability and innovation specialist by day, a business school student, friend, partner, daughter, and cat mom by night. We get into how important consuming media is, but specifically consuming media consciously. We talk about how she wanted to earn her MBA for little to no cost and was able to do that by working for Columbia University. And lastly, we get into how she started doing her internal work to overcome perfectionism and people-pleasing through therapy and other mental health resources. This episode is jam-packed with honest, inspirational advice and how you can get started on your internal work or continue your internal work. I'm excited for you to listen. Take a listen. Hello, Natalie. Thank you for joining me. This is really weird on Zoom. (laughs) I know, but it's so fun. And thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. And the first podcast I've ever been on. Oh my God. Yay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because this is long overdue. I've been wanting you to be on. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, Natalie and I have known each other forever. We lived together for the past four years. This is the first time we're not living together. Actually five years. Five years. Yeah. yeah. Five years. (laughs) Ever since, uh, pretty much graduation. And yeah, she's one of my best friends. And I'm so excited to share her story today. So like everyone, if you could just share a little bit about who you are and sort of your passions and what your day to day is like and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. And I'm so excited to be able to support you in this too. As Ashley mentioned, I've we've known each other for a really long time. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which is an amazing city and I love and my family still lives there. So I get to go back. But from a really early age, I want to say 12 or 13, I knew I wanted to live in New York. I wanted to work in fashion at the time and I knew that New York was where I needed to be. So I ended up doing my undergrad at Pace University, which is how you and I met. And from there, just stayed in the city and really was able to learn a lot about myself and what I wanted. And now I've been here for 10 years, same as you. So yeah, what I do now. So I knew I wanted to live in New York, but beyond that, I wasn't always sure where my life would take me. So I, you know, dabbled in a few different careers. And now I work in sustainability and innovation at Columbia University while I am also 
completing my MBA. So I have a little bit of experience in a lot of different things, but I feel like it's been able to teach me a lot and really built me into the person I am today. And school is also really exciting to be a part of again. I loved being in school in the city for my undergrad, and now I get to do that for a graduate degree. So that's really fun for me and to be able to do so in city and space where there's a lot going on. So that's a little bit about me and what I'm up to. Yeah, totally. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about, well, first, let's just talk a little bit about who you are outside of sort of like work and (laughs) school and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think you have like just such an interesting take on so many things. I feel like if there's like anyone I would go to to like ask for a recommendation or like advice, it'd be you because you always just sort of know a little bit about everything. It's true. You always know the best things here or there, like what to read, what, where to look for this. So yeah, if you want to talk like a little bit of just like who you are and like describe for anyone who doesn't know who you are. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I feel like I've been in kind of job interview mode lately. So I've been kind of over-indexing on my professional side. But yes, you know, from an early age, like I'm talking five years old, I've loved reading. So I read a lot and not necessarily books, but articles, Instagram posts. I'm on TikTok a lot. So kind of this idea of consuming a lot of media is something that's been a big part of my life from a very early age. So when I was in college, I interned at a PR firm. And when I was interning there, that was sort of when I saw the impact you could have with having really good recommendations. So that's where I kind of got into learning more about restaurants in New York and now all over the world. And news, email newsletters and Instagram accounts to follow. Like this is when the infatuation was really new. And that's how I found out about that. And, you know, different areas, like I love makeup and skincare. And so that's something I followed since I was in high school. So I think there's so much content out there these days that being able to really curate something for yourself based on your interests can be really valuable. So I've been able to do this through the people I follow on social media, the newsletters I read, and I still love reading books. I am obsessed with the library, and I think everyone should at least have like a digital library card because you can download books no matter where you are in the world from the New York public libraries, and I think there's a lot of other cities that do this. So I really am a proponent of consciously consuming media that aligns with your interests and also what you want to learn. So I, for example, just had a project for this class at school and it's the class is all about what the world will look like in 2050 and beyond. And I was in a group and we did a project on space commercialization, like outer space. And so I had no idea about space at all beyond, you know, like the baseline, like yeah, there's the space station, Elon Musk's company, you know, sends rockets into space. But so now I'm super intrigued by space and I've signed up for a few newsletters and things like that. So long story short, I think I just consume a lot of media, but I've gotten way better at being a conscious consumer. And this is something I wrote my essay on or my 
undergraduate thesis on around conscious consumerism. So this is something I'm really passionate about because it can be really easy to get overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed, it's hard to take action. And so I really enjoy the articles, everything I read because they're aligned with my values and what I want to learn about. Yeah, that is so valuable. Like, I'm so glad you said that because I feel like that's just well put. I feel a lot of people don't know how to like articulate that or even pay attention to that. You know, you're just sort of like, oh, like, especially now it's overwhelming to be like, oh my God, there's so many issues to care about or there's so many things to like do. and, And it's important, like you said, to make sure that what you're taking in aligns with your values. And I think even for me, that's been a journey of like, okay, like who am I following on Instagram? And is this really like serving me anymore? How does this make Mm -hmm. me feel kind of thing? And uh, yeah, I think you do a really, really great job of that. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) I also just know, I don't think there's anything wrong with growing out of something that you used to like. Mm, Yeah, that's good. For example, there's a very popular new daily newsletter that's a roundup of different news stories that I used to love when I was younger. And it's very pithy, you know, to a millennial audience. And I, a few years ago, just saw myself not necessarily reaching for that email anymore. I had different ways to collect that information. And so there's nothing wrong, just like you might outgrow clothes to outgrow something you used to read and really liked. And this could be a blog, this could be a news source, but I think it's really also important to go beyond um, a subject, a subject line, but like a title of a, Mm article because that is purely for clicks. Yeah. It doesn't really tell you that much about the article. It's purely to get you to click on it. And so another thing that I've really learned is you will never be knowledgeable on every single topic. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of strength in saying, you know, I actually don't know that much about that. Do you have any resources where you like to learn about that? Or could you tell me a little bit more? It sounds really interesting. And it sounds like you're really passionate about that. So I think it's okay to not know everything in a world where we're supposed to be so in touch with everything that's happening. So a few final thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. Especially I think our age group, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't know about this or that. And whether it's something that's trendy or something that's like a social justice issue, you know, it's true. It's and I've even fallen into it where I'm like, why do I have to feel like I know everything? I don't, you know. So let's go back to talking a little bit about what you're doing now. And so I think it's really interesting to share with everyone a little bit about how you got to Columbia. So for those who don't know, Natalie is, like she mentioned, getting her MBA at Columbia. She also works for the university. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable that you're about to graduate from one of the best business schools (laughs) in the country for very low cost. And (laughs) if you could share a little bit about how that journey has been for you, how you ended up there and what it's been like while you're, while you've been there. Absolutely. So when I graduated from 
college. I had majored in business. I had gotten a marketing degree. I had started working for a company that I had interned with, and I was working in business development consulting and event strategy. So I was 22 years old, and I got in this job, which I was really excited about because it meant I could stay in New York. I didn't have any family that lived in the tri-state area, and I wanted to stay in New York after graduating, and I knew I had to get a job immediately after college to make sure that happened. So a big part of my job there was to search on LinkedIn for potential leads for my clients. So when I was doing this, I was able to look at a lot of people's LinkedIn profiles. And these were people that were like at the director VP level or above. So pretty established in their careers. And many of them were working for Large companies are really well-funded startups. So when I was looking at their profiles, I was just really interested in how they had gotten to that place in their career. And of, I don't know, these two years working there, I could pull out a few commonalities across the board of how they had gotten to that level in their career. One, they had worked for the same company for years and had risen through the ranks and were now at the director, VP, if not higher level. Secondly, they had worked in management consulting and had done that for a few years. Maybe it got into the partner level and then moved on to the company they were working at now, or they had gotten their MBA. Of course, there are exceptions to all of this, but these were the three patterns I really discovered. So one, I knew I didn't want to continue working at my company that I was at for the rest of my life. So that one was out for me. Two, management consulting. I think I thought about this for a little bit and I went through the interview process for one of the firms, but I didn't get the job. And also I learned that a lot of these firms don't necessarily recruit from the place I went to undergrad for management consulting. And I came to understand that a lot of that recruitment process comes after one gets their MBA. So this getting my MBA was looking to be really attractive to me at this point. I also as we talked about earlier, I love school. I love learning. And I always have from a really early age. So going back to school didn't necessarily scare me because I knew I really liked it. The aspect that was a little harder for me to get on board with was the cost that it would bring on to do an MBA program, specifically one where I couldn't work during the duration of the program. So what had happened was after two years at this firm, I was feeling really burnt out. I was working insane hours. I really wasn't making that much money and was really burnt out. And around this time, someone I had known from undergrad had who worked at Columbia at the time had told me about a job opening at Columbia in one of in the Neuroscience Institute there. Um, this is all like public knowledge. My LinkedIn is public. So this is not like anything crazy. So I went in for this interview and I really clicked with the person I would be working with. And we're still extremely close to this day. So I ended up getting this job at Columbia in the Neuroscience Institute. And with the understanding that after being at Columbia for two years, I could take advantage of their tuition reimbursement program, which is a part of the benefit of being a full-time employee at the school where you can take two classes a term and they will cover the cost of that. 
So I was very transparent about this in the interview process. And my boss at the time knew that this was a goal of mine and was really set on helping me get there. So due to timing, I actually waited three years before applying and getting in. This is a silver lining of everything happens for a reason, because had I applied after two years, it would have been in um, like 2020, I would have started, which would have been a much different experience. Doesn't mean it's bad or good, but it would have been a much different experience going to school in the height of the pandemic. So everything happens for a reason. But so I started school in May, 2021 with the executive MBA program, which is essentially still a full-time program. I take nine to 12 credits a term. It's just everyone's working full-time when you don't have a summer off to take an internship. So I'll be graduating next May, so or May, 2023. So in the middle of this, I also switched to a different role within Columbia. So I moved to the climate school in the beginning of this year. So being able to balance work with school is interesting, but it's really great because what I'm learning in the classroom can really inform what I'm doing in my day-to-day job and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I I really feel like you sort of manifested the perfect (laughs) situation for what you want for your future. I mean, it's like literally exactly what you said you wanted, you know, you wanted to be able to get your MBA, but costs and having to work at the same time. And I think that you're in an ideal situation where it's like, not only are you working and also doing your MBA, but you get to like work at your school. So, um, I I don't know. I, like you said, there's crossover and it's, it seems like maybe it might be easier because you already understand like both cultures and, you know, it's all kind of the same, but that's just so helpful. I think for people to, to hear, so now that you're there and mm-hmm. you're looking towards the spring, yes. what are you seeing in your future? Or if mm-hmm. you don't know, that's totally fine too. But what are you seeing post-graduating from the program? And do you think you'll want to stay where you're at uh, at the climate school? Is there a different industry you want to go into? Yeah, sort of like where you're seeing the next sort of like couple months after graduating. Yeah, it's a great question. So I've loved my time working at Columbia. I have learned so much and I've been able to work with such amazing, intelligent people and learned about areas of the world I had no idea about, like neuroscience and like climate research. So I'm forever grateful for that opportunity and to be in a place which values education so highly. And because you and I have spoken about this before, how important education is and how that has really made a difference in our lives. Mm -hmm. So those are things that I'm incredibly grateful for and all the people I've met. I mentioned my former boss was so influential in my life. She was one of the first women in science in her field, and she's really done so much to really further the research. And I'm so grateful to have been around people like that and been able to get my MBA at a much lower cost, not completely free, but at a much lower cost. That being said, I think that there are ways that I can make an impact in the world outside of academia, which speaks more to my authentic self. So I 
essentially just want to leave the world better than how I found it. I've been so lucky in my life and I've worked hard too, but I've had a lot of luck in my life. And I really want to be able to use the skills that I have and what I can bring to make an impact. So I don't know if that lies within academia right now. So after I graduate in May, I'm hoping to move into a different industry and one that I'm passionate about and one where I'm able to kind of like make an impact immediately. And one of those industries is the beauty industry. You and I have spoken about this before. I've loved the beauty industry because I want to make the world a better place, but I also want to make people feel good. And so I think that's a really great way to pair it in addition to my skills and like problem solving, relationship building, all that good stuff, because people might not think that the beauty industry is immediately the place where I can make a difference, but a lot of people use products that are made from the beauty industry. And there's a lot of education that can be done within that. And a lot of sustainability that is also being done within the beauty industry. So that's where I want to focus my efforts after graduation. Yeah. And I think that now it has become more important in that industry to be more transparent about Mm -hmm. sustainability, sort of like this the clean makeup, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of, uh, focus and all of that. So, you know, it's like any industry, right? Like you could point out, oh, well, this part of this industry is damaging, but there's just so much good that could also come from it because I mean, it's a gigantic industry. So billions, billions. So, so clearly people are benefiting in some way, you know, Mm-hmm. And I always thought that like you fit so well in all of that because you always know like what types of products and it's kind of talking about how uh, before you were talking about, you know, reading and knowing all these things. And it's and so I'm like excited for you to kind of like venture into this like new journey. So you've brought up a little bit about, you know, your values and like sort of what's authentic to you. How have you come to being clear on these values and and your authentic self and what steps have you taken to sort of understand that you want to make a change in the world and that you want to make people feel good? How did you get there? That's a really good question because to be honest, I think a lot of it came with time and I'm going to get into the steps I took, of course, to get there. I'm all about giving like specific actionable examples. But to be honest, I think a lot of it came with time. I'm not that old. I'm 28. But I think what I've learned now, I don't know if I would have been able to implement in my life Mm. when I was early, when I was younger, just because of the things I've learned as I've gone on. That doesn't mean you can't start working on yourself and figuring out what your values are at whatever age. But I think that there's a lot to be said for a lived experience. To go back though, when I'm, I mentioned when I was working at my first job out of college, I was feeling very burnt out and that's why I left that job and started a new one. So I have always been pretty type A and pretty anxious, even as a child, like my parents will say like, 
hibernation since I've been like five years old. And so this manifested in ways that actually made me really successful. Like I was always really organized, really on top of my grades, you know, very driven, which was, I, I want to say that was really helpful. That was, it, it got me to where I needed to be and it continues to help me in the future. However, when I graduated from college, it was a little difficult because I wasn't receiving that external validation that I was used to getting when I was in school. So that A or getting an award or I don't know, getting an internship every semester, I wasn't getting this like continuous stream of validation. So I recognized this pretty early on, but I didn't know what to do about that. So I just tried to be really good at my job, mainly because I was really scared of being fired, but I now know that I was not going to be fired. But when I was 24, maybe 20, I was around turning 24, my parents really suggested that I look into going to therapy. And so I had I was never opposed to therapy and just a lot of people around me hadn't been in therapy, but I was really passionate about taking care of my physical body. So this wasn't so beyond that. And it was still in my ether about therapy and the importance of taking care of mental health. So I found a therapist on ZocDoc, which I now realize was super lucky that I was able to connect with someone so quickly. So if anyone's thinking about finding a therapist, I would maybe do a little bit more research than I did because I basically chose this woman because she was within walking distance of my office. So if you're looking for a therapist, I would maybe do a little bit more due diligence, but it ended up working so well. She is, I don't work with her anymore because I felt as though I'd gone through therapy for three and a half years. And I felt like I was okay to take a break from it, but she's truly amazing. And I can't speak to the power of having a good therapist. We explored a lot about internal validation and what that looks like and how to build that. And since I was receiving all this validation from external sources, I placed way more uh, importance on that and fell into this people-pleasing cycle. And so it got to a point where I was really focused on being the person that other people wanted me to be and living up to those expectations and being perfect. And Stephanie, name of my therapist, um, really helped me see that perfection is a moving goalpost. And it's very difficult to be perfect when everyone's idea of what Natalie being perfect is, is completely different. So I would have to be like 17,000 versions of myself to be perfect for people that were external to myself. And so this took a lot of time for me to unlearn this patterning that I had developed. And so, like I said, I was in therapy. I was in therapy weekly for about six months. And then I moved to doing it every other week for the rest of the time I was in therapy. So I gradually 
became a lot more in tune with myself and what I wanted versus what other people wanted from me. So there's still value in learning about other people's expectations, but you can decide whether you want to buy into that. So I remember being really fixated on these shoulds, like I should do this, or they want me to do this. Should I do it? And so what I did was I reflected on the times when I knew what that, what I was doing was right for me and that I could not be dissuaded anyway, even no matter what people told me, like going to college in New York, people were like, you're not going to get the college experience. You're going to be in a really expensive city, whatever, but literally nothing anyone could say could dissuade me from that. So I reflect on those times and how I felt. And I realized I didn't have one of those times. I was maybe 27 when I was thinking about this, maybe 26. I hadn't had one of those times that I could really remember since I was 18 years old. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting and thinking about what would make me happy. Of course, still being a respectful, nice friend, family member, partner, contributor to society. So that's kind of how I did it. And it took a long time, like for me, maybe it won't take as much time for anyone else, but I was also reading, you know, a lot of self improvement, self-help books like Brene Brown cannot recommend her work enough. Gabrielle Bernstein, um, the universe has your back another book that made a big impact on me. And I read the book, you are a badass that, that yellow book. It's I, I I did not expect my mindset to change as much as it did after reading that book. And I read that book in 2020 over the pandemic and I started therapy in 2018. So like it's, it's an ever-evolving process. So it's an incredibly long answer, but I think a lot of people can benefit from therapy, but you also have to be willing to take what you learn in therapy and apply it to real life. Yes. Because I was incredibly anxious about my job at the time. And I talked about it in therapy a lot, but I didn't stop being anxious until I left that job. And that was on me. There was no amount of talking through it in therapy, no no amount of coping mechanisms I could have. I was not having a great time at that job. And so I needed to leave and I did. So I think that's the biggest thing. You can talk about things all you want, but until you do it, nothing will change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you not only took what you learned in therapy, but you also took it upon yourself to learn outside of therapy and really work on your mindset and even sort of, you know, more of like spirituality and like Mm -hmm. getting in tune with your inner self. And I saw that happen. And, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that, you know, will either just do therapy or they might try therapy, they give up on it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's really, really brave to face your shit. And Mm -hmm. actually deal with it, you know, and it's the only way, like the only way to get somewhere is to just go through it. Like you just have to go through it. And I think you did that work and it's so apparent because I think that now you 
you're in a totally different place than you were when we first met even and Mm -hmm. for the better. And yeah, I think that I totally agree with you when it comes to that spirituality and growth journey. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something to say about our generation. And I think a lot of people in our generation are doing the same work because I think so too. Yeah. Other generations didn't. And we're starting to get so much more information. And regardless of whether or not social media is positive or negative, there's some good parts of it where it makes us more connected and we learn more about these sort of things. And and I think it's part of the reason why millennials and and now, you know, Gen Z is so much more aware of having to face these sort of generational traumas and even going back to what you mentioned about the sort of type A being organized, getting things done, I think is a result of one, being a woman. Mm -hmm. I think in general, women were told to be sort of like that perfect, you know, make sure everyone else is sort of happy, make sure we're showing up and being organized, you know, sort of that saying of, you know, oh, well, girls are more, you know, organized and more this and more that in school and boys are, you have to be more on top of boys, you know? And so it's like already implanted in all of our brains that like, we have to be that way. That's not to say that there's not men like that, but, um, but I think that the general pressure from everyone is to sort of present that way and, and, and be that way. And I think that's why we're friends because we both, you know, dealt with those things and those those coping mechanisms and those things helped us Mm -hmm. um but it's like when it gets past a certain line when you start to realize oh wait a minute is this how I'm just coping with things is through working hard and getting things done and being busy and it might even be something that is like a millennial thing too because I think like the whole idea of like girl boss and like yeah like (laughs) hustle culture I feel like I read somewhere that like busyness or like overworking. I mean, this is not a direct quote is the last acceptable addiction. Mm. I read something like that. And because other addictions are very unhealthy and you can yeah. see those effects yeah. pretty immediately, but being busy all the time and being an overworking are supposedly helpful. You can advance in your career. You can make more money. You can, whatever that means to you. But yeah, when I read that, I was, it it stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. It's viewed as positive, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore we sort of just are like, okay, this is good. And like you said, you got this external validation of good grades and and you know our teachers being like she's so wonderful and And so then like that feels good so you keep doing those things because it feels like that's what you're supposed to do and and like you know and until until like you said you get out into the real world and you're like wait a minute now what like now how do I know that I'm doing a good job or that like where is it going to where's it coming from? And I think that's what a lot of people in their early twenties end up dealing with is they don't really know how to navigate outside of that because school doesn't actually prepare us for that. So like, 
Yeah. You know, it'd be really helpful if universities were to make it mandatory for seniors or for everyone to sort of find these things in school, you know, like that, yeah. like that course at Harvard where it's like the, the, the psychology the happiness. of happiness. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. you know, it became their most popular course because so many people were so miserable, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, and thank you for sharing that because it, I resonate with that. And I think a lot of other women resonate with the same idea. Um, Absolutely. I, the school, I, I mean, the elementary and middle school I went to, I went to Montessori schools growing up and we didn't have grades until seventh grade when, you know, people, my school only went up to eighth grade. So people were applying to high schools in the area or choosing to go to pre- uh, public school. So we kind of needed some sort of grades to be on par with other applicants, but we didn't have any grades until I was 12. And so I think that was really helpful because as a kid, I wasn't at least focused on the grade as much. I was just focused on learning and of course work and stuff. Like we had spelling tests and math and, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's really interesting when I think back to that now, when I didn't have to focus on grades until I was a little older and what that impact I was on my life because I hadn't thought about that until recently, but yeah, no, it's true. And I think that, I think actually in that, in that it might be in that course, the psychology of happiness, they talk about maybe not there, but I know I read it somewhere or watched something where they did like studies on the value of giving grades and how mm. kids who are being graded perform better. And, and uh, it, there's a lot of, um, there's some data saying that like, you know, sort of the smarter kids, the ones that are getting the really good grades um, have more pressure to cheat on tests Mm, interesting and like things like that because they want to perform perfectly and you know sometimes it's not possible so there's more pressure around like okay well I'm gonna have to you know cheat or or or, you know whatever to just any way to get to that end goal kind of thing and so I thought that was like so that is really interesting (laughs) that is I mean that never was my experience but I Mm -hmm. can see how that mm-hmm. could have an impact it, it's especially in highly competitive academic environments yeah. so yeah so how do you see this like sort of coming up for you now because now you're in a mm. you're at an ivy league mm-hmm. not only are you going to school in an ivy league but you're working there so you're around people that are probably still dealing with that that maybe aren't aware of like their people pleasing tendencies and that external validation and specifically getting your MBA there and your peers are now working at big companies or run their own companies and some are older than than we are are you more aware of these sort of tendencies in your peers that is such a good question because i've actually thought about this a lot. And so as a little context, Columbia does not, Columbia Business School does not release grades to employers. I think there's some instances where they may, if there's specific roles, maybe in the government that require this, but Columbia will not release your grades to employers. So when I I was looking at business school a little differently than how I was looking at undergrad and high school. This will probably be the last 
I, sh- I don't know if I should say that, but I, I'm not, I don't see pursuing another degree as part of my like five to 10 year plan. So I'm a little less concerned about that in terms of getting into another program. However, I had a lot more trust in myself that I would be able to handle the workload and that I would be able to get good grades. Another important aspect is that in college and in high school, everyone's like generally on the same plane in terms of the knowledge that they have. It's not like people are really working in a professional work environment at that time. Like, of course, people have jobs, but it's not like someone's going to be way ahead in math because they're working in like a lab on like that's focused on math or something. So everyone's a bit more on a level playing field there. But now when I'm in business school, everyone has a lot of different, really valuable knowledge sets. So I kind of knew coming in that I, who has never worked in like a financial institution or bank or hedge fund or VC, whatever, that I was coming in with a lot less like practical knowledge of these systems than someone else in my class. So I realized to myself that it wouldn't be fair to assume that I would be able to immediately start working at the same level that those people who have been working in this industry for years would be coming in at. That being said, I was still really committed to learning and trying my best, but my best was my best. It didn't mean I was going to be the top in the class. I was just more focused on learning and being able to apply that learning in the assignments and in the final and midterm. I wasn't so concerned with being the top of the class. So I think I just approached it a little differently than I had in undergrad and in high school because there was a different end game for high school and college. Yeah. This is just very different in terms of what comes after this. Right. So I think that was how I approached it. I don't know if that's the right way, but that's how it's made it. So I'm not as stressed out. Yeah. School. And do you still see these tendencies pop up for other people? Like, are you more aware now that like you've done so much work on yourself? Is it more apparent in sort of like seeing that in other people? Yes, there are definitely some people that I see it in, but at the end of the day, I'm, it's way easier for me to separate Mm. myself from my grade, if that makes sense. So for example, the highest grade you can get at Columbia is an H it's honors. And then the next one under that is HP high pass. And then there's pass. And then there's, it, it goes down from there. There's like five different, five or six different grades you can get. And I am like a solid HP student, like maybe HP plus HP, like, you know, kind of varies in there. And that's totally fine with me. Like sometimes when I hear about people saying like, oh, I got all H's this term or something, it like stings a little for a minute. So I'm like, oh, like I kind of wish I got an H, but then I'm just kind of like, what would that mean to me? Like, actually, what would that mean to me? Yeah. Because beyond getting that letter grade, it doesn't actually mean much. It doesn't mean that I learned more or that I did better. That letter, an H versus an HP for me 
there's not a big difference apart from what the web page says. Yeah. And that's for me. That's for me. And I can't speak to anyone else's experience. Me, some people have jobs where they need to maintain a certain average and they might need certain grades and they're focused on that. I don't have that. So I have a different mindset around it, but I'm able to like one, someone I knew in college, she had this quote that she really liked by Albert Camus. I think don't quote me on that. Um, (laughs) where it was like, you can't control your first thought, but you can control your second and your third. Mm. So for example, I can't control that. I feel a little disappointed in myself that I didn't get an H, but then I can control what comes after that thought. Yeah. And I can say, you, you turned in all your assignments. You went to every class, you participated in the discussion, you gave a good presentation at the end. Like I can say those things. And then I can also say, you know, there's quotas for each class. There have to be X amount of people that get H's and X amount of people that get HPs. So again, I think it's like, you can't always control your first thought or your first feeling, but you can have more of an impact on what comes after that. Totally. Totally. Is there any advice that you have for listeners who want to start doing that internal work, where to begin, how like the process can feel overwhelming. And also sometimes it's pretty costly because mental health isn't really (laughs) um, prioritized in the U S. So yeah. So anyone who's listening, who's like, you know, I kind of relate to those things. How do I even start doing this work? So I'll talk about resources before I talk about therapy. So I think if you're feeling like this is something that you're looking to explore more, I would just see how it feels to maybe read about some of these concepts and whether that's an Instagram post or a TikTok or an article or a book. I would just make sure to pick resources that are science-based, written by mental health professionals, and might not look like the trendiest sort of design. So I have found a lot of value reading from Brené Brown. She's very science-based, very research-based, and she has a podcast She has several books. And so if you want to check out the books at the library, if you want to listen to her podcasts, they're on Spotify, I think. That's something I would start there and at least go from there. And there's also a lot of other podcasts, but just because I know Brene Brown is so research-based, I would start there. And then if you want to do more research, you Google authors like Brene Brown and then go from there. Her writing is also very accessible. It's not written in a very sciencey language. She also has TED Talks and she has a special on Netflix. So I really like her. You don't have to like her, but something like her, again, mental health professional, science-based. There's a lot of advice out there on TikTok and Instagram and all these other sources, but yeah, I would really encourage science-based mental health professional. If you're kind of like, that's great, Natalie. And I've done (laughs) that, but I need more. I would, and you're open to therapy. 
I would maybe start by researching on, I think it's psychology today today. Mm -hmm. or something. You can start there. Um, I didn't necessarily go to start going to therapy because I had a traumatic event happened in my life or a prior diagnosis for a mental health condition. So I approach this a little differently, but if you have something that's within your lived experience that you would like to speak to someone that has specific experience on, there are filters for that. So you can also talk to your friends. If they have a therapist, maybe there's someone in their practice that does it the same way that they can recommend you to. In terms of, I know I'm a bit long-winded here, but in terms of free resources, I think there are some programs within universities that have psychology schools. So you could look into that. And I think there are a few other free resource or maybe not free, but sliding scale resources that you can use. And you can probably just Google sliding scale therapy, something like that. And um, you can always ask therapists if they have a sliding scale. It might not be something that they advertise on their website. Fair, but just ask. And then, um, you can always check your insurance website if you have insurance Yeah, to see how that works out. But I gained a lot from therapy. A good therapist can be difficult to find, but a good therapist should be solution oriented with you. They're yes. maybe not always going to tell you what to do, but it should be like, what is your goal? And going from there. And I believe that a therapist shouldn't be your friend. They shouldn't just be like, mm-hmm, yeah, that sucks, Natalie. They should really challenge you. And so if you're ready for that, then I think therapy is a good move for you. But um, I did it because I wanted to feel good and I wasn't feeling good. And so I'm going to quote Melissa Wood Tupperberg, where she's saying, how badly do you want to feel good? Yeah. And I wanted it pretty badly. So that's what got me into therapy but it's so good. I know she's so great. So anyways, that's, those are some resources. Yeah. I would recommend. Awesome. So let's wrap up and we've kind of touched upon it throughout the episode, but I like to ask everyone what keeps you life curious Mm. and what keeps you learning, what fuels that sort of fire inside of you. Yeah, we definitely have spoken about this, but I guess in to wrap up, I, I'm never satisfied with just my own experience. I want to hear about other people's and I want to hear about stories that I don't know about. So that's why I love reading books and I love reading articles and I love listening to podcasts. I've just in really enjoy hearing about other people's experiences because I won't be able to have all of those in my lifetime. And so being able to learn from other people is really helpful for me because that's how I think we can cross perspectives is hearing other people's perspectives. If you stay in this bubble of just you and your life, you're not always going to be able to learn about the world and learning about the world doesn't just mean traveling. It means like hearing about other people's experiences. And that's really what 
keeps me engaged because I will never get tired of that. Yeah, that's so good. Yay. Thank you, Natalie. Thank Thank you so much for being so open and honest and sharing your story. I think that it's just so valuable for other women to hear this. Great. So is there anywhere that you'd like people to follow you if they Mm -hmm. want to connect with you? Is there somewhere that you prefer? Yeah. So my Instagram is public, natalie.trotta. I post a lot about Facebook marketplace finds on TikTok, which is my personal love. So that's Natalie C. Trotta on TikTok. And then if you ever want to chat about job stuff, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much, Natalie, for taking this time. Thank you for having me, Ashley. I loved it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Curious Women. If you're enjoying the podcast and this season, I am asking that you help support us in one of four ways. The first way would be to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. The second way would be to leave a rating and review. Rating and reviews are very important to new podcasts. It helps boost the podcast on the platform. The third way would be to share the podcast with your friends and family via social media, email, text message, and share what you love most about the podcast. And the last way to support the podcast is to sign up for your Audible 30-day free trial through our affiliate link, which is www.audible.com audibletrial.com forward slash Life Curious Women. Life Curious Women is an Audible affiliate partner, and every time someone signs up, we get a little bit of support from them. Talk to you next week, and don't forget to stay life curious.